The kakadu plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count for your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hi. Before we get started, I wanted to give you a heads up that this episode contains brief mentions of trauma, abuse, and suicide. I want to ask you if Fred Rogers were here today and you could sit down with him and he <laughs> sat across from you and said, Hi, Ashley. It's nice to meet you. I'm Fred. I want to know what you would ask him. I mean, I, it wouldn't be one question. <laughs> <laughs> I would want to sit and listen to Fred Rogers talk about the people who he's loved in his life. I, I think there's so much to learn from listening to people talk about the people who make them feel a certain way. This is Ashley C. Ford. In our first episode, I talked to her about a very bad day, a bathtub, and rediscovering Mr. Rogers as an adult. I would love, love, love for him to talk to me about his love of his wife, his love mm. of close friends, of pen pals, how he appreciated the parts of them that, you know, not just set them apart, but gave them joy. I feel like Mr. Rogers never really needed anybody to to be different in an interesting way. He understood that we are fascinating creatures all our own. And there are people who, when they speak of passion, when they speak of themselves at their best, you learn so much about what happiness can create in a person. 
it's so beautiful and it's so wonderful. And I think that very few people appreciated and respected the concept of love like Fred Rogers. There's so many things to know and to wonder about in this world. And there's so many people who want to show and tell you all they can. People who want to help you to learn and to be brave and strong and interesting and loving. That's the best part of living, loving. And I love being with you. I'm Carvel Wallace, and this is Finding Fred, a podcast about Fred Rogers from Fatherly and iHeartMedia in partnership with Transmitter Media. We spoke to Ashley C. Ford in our first episode because she reminded us that, as adults, it's possible to return to Mr. Rogers and feel affirmed and accepted. But then she also took time to consider what Fred might have been asking of her as a small child and might still be asking of her now. I've been following her example, wrestling with what grown-up things there are to learn from this children's entertainer. For a long time, I've been trying to talk about feelings in a serious way. And Mm. I think think at times I've been dismissed because of that Mm -hmm. and definitely thought of as soft uh, Mm. or lacking in intelligence. And I think Mm. that what Mr. Rogers in the cultural conversation is doing right now is offering a lot of people a, a chance to reparent themselves in one way or another by listening And realizing that while their feelings aren't facts, their feelings are powerful. And Mm. feelings change things, whether or not we want them to. And we're not going to solve anything, change anything, um, progress on some of the issues we want to progress on if we continue to act as if emotions and feelings are not having real consequences in our society and in our culture and in our everyday lives. Mm. We define love differently all across this country. Like for me, love includes accountability. There's no such thing as love without accountability. And some people Mm. think of love as active and some people think of love as a nothing emotion. Like, what what could love possibly add to this conversation? What could love mm. possibly help in these trying times? We aren't talking about what love means, and we are acting like figuring that out isn't a worthy conversation, and we're going to pay for it. And so the idea yeah. that love would be useless right now, I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Love changes everything. (laughs) (laughs) For a long time, I thought love was just 
a stronger version of like. But Fred said love is an active noun, like the word struggle. To love someone, he says, is to strive to accept that person exactly the way he or she is, to accept ourselves as we are right here and now. That has nothing to do with liking people. It's about something else, something requiring time and patience and quiet, things that may seem hard to come by today. Time and patience and quiet seem especially lacking in the place where many of us do most of our noise-making, online. The internet is a kind of manic, modern neighborhood where outrage changes to laughter, changes to vanity, all in a few seconds and seemingly out of our own control. That's when I start feeling like a video game and somebody else mm. has the joystick. And in that Ooh. case, all the people on my timeline have the joystick. And I'm oh. letting them move me in different directions and I've lost the plot. I've lost control. And I, I don't like to feel that way. I was talking to my therapist in the early stages of making this show and thinking out loud about what makes Fred Rogers interesting and important today. And she stopped me and she said, the thing I've always thought about him is that he leads with self. This, of course, made no sense to me. So she broke out the markers in the paper and she drew a big circle. And on the outside of the circle, she labeled all of these selves, these roles that we take on when we interact with the world. The protector self who makes sure that nobody's hurting me or my family. The self that needs to prove its worth. The fearful self. The prideful self. The needy self. She wrote all these selves around the circle. And I pointed to the empty center of it, and I said, so then, what's that? And she said, that is what we are that isn't anger or fear or shame or worthlessness or aloneness. That is the true self. And when I watch Mr. Rogers, it's clear that this person has done the work necessary to lead primarily with that self. The other parts are there, but they're in the back seat. He can be in dialogue with them, but they don't run the show. Or, as Ashley would say, it's the true self that has the joystick. I recently went and saw Celine Dion perform uh, mm. in concert. And one of the first songs she sings is The Power of Love. Now, I remember when it came out, I used to go all night skating with my cousins and my brother at uh, Roller Dome South in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And when I was a kid at All Night Skate, rolling around the skating rink, and the power of love would come on, right, to skate to. And I would just throw my hands back behind me mm. and skate as quickly as I could. And there's that part that she gets to, you know, that, cause I'm your lady. And I, <laughs> when she would get to that part, that's when I would stop skating. And I would just let the momentum of my body push me forward with my arms back and my eyes closed, singing at the top of my lungs. And the DJ would get on the microphone and would say, Ashley Ford, once again, this is a couple's Skate. <laughs> and I mm. could not care. 
I was going to skate to that song, I feel like the person I was in that moment was and is my core self. Mm. I feel like there was this deep understanding of myself in that time of what I wanted, what I valued, how to just feel my body and enjoy it for what it was doing, for the movement, for the fun, how to like dream about big love and what love could be like and be surrounded by people and still feel like I was my own. And I couldn't care what they thought about me. I couldn't care if I was going to be in trouble. All I could think was who I am right now is like good. Like this is good. And it wasn't good because I was doing anything for anybody else. And it wasn't good because I was trying to be anything else. It's about a way of being. And putting myself at the center, not because everybody else should put me at the center, but just because I am worthy of being at the center of myself. I'm glad I'm the way I am, I think I'm fine. I'm glad I'm the way I am, the pleasure's mine. It's good that I look the way I should. Wouldn't change now if I could, cause I'm happy to be me. Aren't there times that you feel that way? That you're just glad you're the way you are? Good for you, if you know those times. Yes, sir. I'm proud of it when you can feel that way. Hope for ourselves and hope for our relationships, our communities, depends on our ability to find our center, to stay in touch with it and to act from it. Fred Rogers spent his life creating television for children that was shaped in part by this new understanding of what we need in order to flourish. Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood was less about learning ABCs and more about sorting through and managing the enormous feelings that move through you as you grow. And Ashley says he did that by making time and space for the little feelings, just listening to them. And that is something a lot of us have forgotten. The problem is, is that we think the extreme feelings are the only feelings that should motivate action. And I think that we have to stop relying on the idea that certain feelings will compel us to act a certain way and instead notice our feelings, no matter how mild they are, and choose to do something with them. And I think, unfortunately, what we've done is encouraged a real lack of imagination for what can be done when you feel something that is not as strong. I think it's a lack of imagination.
the first time we talked, one of the questions that people seem to really respond to is, and when I asked you, what do you do with the mad that you feel? Mm. And in this conversation, we've talked less about mad and more about love. And so I want to ask you what some may think is the inverse of that question, though I don't know that it is. What do you do with the love that you feel? I keep what I need and I spend the rest. And there's always more. It's it's abundant. I (laughs) I like to honor people and love people with my presence and with being present with them because not enough of us get that. And I'm good at that. And if that's the gift I got to give, then that's what y'all going to get. Hi, my name's Lisa and I've never called into a show before, but I was fired by you guys. We asked you, you who've been listening, to share stories about people who showed you how to be helpers. But that's really a question about love, too. My mom taught us that we each walk around with a bouquet of flowers. And when you walk down the street and somebody says hi to you and smiles, then they're in essence giving you a flower and then you have a choice you can smile back and say hi and give them a flower back or you can just take their flower and move on and so the trick is to keep your bouquet healthy and so if you're always giving away your flowers and not accepting other people's flowers in return you're going to run out of flowers whereas if you're always accepting other people's flowers but you're not giving out yours then you're going to wind up with a moldy More stories from you after a quick break. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward, inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from ATT Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. ATT Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit ATT.com slash hypergig for details. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.
The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Ashley says she takes the love she needs and gives the rest away. That feels most natural when we're giving it away to our family or our friends. But when we give it away to strangers, we're not doing it because we think we might get something back. We may never even see them again. We're doing it because we want to be good neighbors. Hi, Carvel. Uh, my name is Benny Delgado. What a profound question. Who taught me what it means to be a helper? And, you know, I distinctly remember my mother. We were driving down the road. It was snowing. It was really cold that day. And we were coming down a busy street. And there was a mother and her children that were walking against the wind with the snow hitting them and carrying bags of groceries. And, uh, and immediately she pulled over, rolled down the window, and, and offered to give these people a ride. And immediately she asked us to move over. There was several kids and the mother. The mother got in the front seat, and we all squished into the back. She got out, helped get the groceries into the trunk of the car, and took them to wherever they were going, way past our house. And, you know, that, that memory is ingrained in my mind. Hello, my name is Justin Sweeten. I'm from Texas. In 2016, I was homeless and on drugs and needed to make a change in my life. So I walked to uh, Conroe, Texas, met a man there by the name of Luke Reedus. He invited me into the men's transitional home uh, called the Freedom House. He, he, he basically just instructed me on good ethics through the, the lens of Christianity. Uh, a few months into the program, the guy who was running the Conroe House of Prayer, he was stepping down after seven years. I just felt the urge that I wanted to step into that position and I wanted to be a part of this, this community to help homeless people uh, get back on their feet. And uh, Luke was absolutely on board with it. He gave me a keys to the church. He gave me basically all authority over the place. You know, somebody who'd only been sober for a few months and for the next two years, I impacted people's lives like I wouldn't believe. You know, I went from someone who was in search of help to suddenly giving help. It, it, it was the most important two years of my life. Hi, Carvel. Um, when I was in third grade, 
I was a painfully awkward kid and I had glasses and I had a big backpack and I got picked on a lot by this one girl in particular. I was just, I was so afraid of her. And I had this teacher, Mr. LeBron, who paired us together. We had a writing assignment and he said, she needs some help. And I think you would be really good at helping her with this writing assignment. And you need some help with your presentation because you're not good at speaking up. And she's really brave and really strong. And it, it, it changed my, my whole life. I became friends with this girl. We realized that we needed each other. She taught me how to speak up for myself and how to not take bullying from other people. And it helps me relate to people that I wouldn't otherwise relate to. And I just, Mr. LeBron, if you're out there, I think about you all the time. And thank you so much. When I was in my 20s, I went through a crippling depression. It was as if all the unprocessed trauma from my childhood just showed up on my door one day and moved into my apartment. I began to feel like it would maybe be better if I didn't bother being alive at all. I didn't think I had a lot of value to the world. I didn't think that I was equipped to deal with life. My closest friend at the time saw my struggle and gifted me a pass to this African-American meditation retreat in Northern California. It seemed random at the time, but I had nothing else to lose. On the way up, I volunteered to pick up one of the meditation teachers who was flying in from New York. I had always been told that when in pain, just find one simple act of service that you can manage and do it. The teacher I picked up that day was the Reverend Angel Kyoto Williams. She was the first real Zen Buddhist I ever met, and she was nothing like the movies told me an ordained Zen practitioner would be. She was black and queer and had the no-nonsense demeanor of a born-and-raised New Yorker. And when I attended her Dharma talks, I was mesmerized. Here she was talking about a liberation beyond liberation— She talked about love as a form of practice, resistance to oppression as a spiritual calling. She talked about meditation and quiet as a path toward the full realization of the self. I didn't understand all of it, but I trusted it. Something about a woman who grew up in Queens teaching me love and understanding just hit me. We became friends And over the years, I sometimes have practiced with her often and sometimes not so often. But the way she has looked at me and seen me and loved me, it did for me what Fred Rogers did for me. It gave me this very quiet, very subtle sense that I have value, that I matter just as I am. In some way, Angel might have saved my life. She's written some books, including Being Black, Zen in the Art of Fearlessness and Grace, and Radical Dharma, Talking Love, Race, and Liberation. She's the founder of the Center of Transformative Change and the spiritual director of the meditation-based New Dharma community. As long as I've known her, her work has been about freedom. 
freedom from oppression, freedom from anger and hate, freedom from suffering, freedom for all of us. I could not talk about the work that Fred Rogers did without talking to the person I know who most directly aligns with Fred's philosophy, even though she came from a very different place than Fred did. Angel was a young activist in New York City. She knows confrontation. So I asked her how she managed to overcome the fear and anger that can come with that. She told me a story about what it was like to return to New York after years of practice in California. I got off at Penn Station, Penn Station as one yeah. as one does. And I left the relative uh, space of being on the train and I entered into the sea yeah. of people that is the the life of New York. Yeah. And in that moment, like I felt this release of like Oh, so good. <laughs> and it became super clear to me in that moment that what happens in that space of confrontation is you can see it as confrontation with all of these other people. Mm. But if you're open to it, you recognize that it's actually what it is, is a confrontation or a meeting with yourself. Mm. And when it's meeting with yourself, then all of it is profound. Every single person, every single person is a meeting with yourself. Like Velcro, right? It's like if there's nothing to rub, it just all like smooths by. But if you've got a little like stickiness there, it's like a little <laughs> zzz, you know, <laughs> then people's hooks get on that, your, that <laughs> those fuzzy, like gnarly places in you. And so then it's an opportunity Instead of, you know, you're in my way, mm -hmm. you know, get mm -hmm. the hell out of here, <laughs> right? It, was a, it wasn't that. It was, it was this like, oh, yeah, oh, there I am. Oh, right? It's like, yeah. and, and that, that was very, very clear. Yeah, I remember you once described mm -hmm. sitting meditation as a kind of curiosity, mm -hmm. and that really struck me. I, I remember right after a you— profound A profound curiosity. And yeah. I remember sitting after that at this retreat with that in my head, and it was kind of hot, and there was a like a bead of sweat was just mm -hmm. down my face, mm -hmm. and I was really annoyed by it. And it was this embodiment of something that I felt like, oh, I think I know what she's talking about. Mm -hmm what it means to just sit and be curious as opposed to constantly trying to manage and control. Mm -hmm. But I, but again, I, I want, I wonder like, okay, so I just, I say people to people in the podcast, all right, everyone be curious. Don't manage <laughs> and control. Thank you. Good night. And then what keeps people from going off and doing that? In other words, how does one, it's one thing to know something mm -hmm. and a different thing to live it and embody it. How do you cross that gap? I, I think you, I mean, I think that's where practice comes in, mm -hmm. right? We, practice our way into contact with reality, a, a, a more truer reality, yeah. until it is familiar enough to us that we recognize the other thing as false. So that a bead of sweat is just a bead of sweat. It doesn't have to be an annoyance. It could first just be a feeling. Angel practices meditation. In the neighborhood, Fred helped kids get there by showing them how to slow down and get quiet. 
There were long pauses on the show and moments when Fred would ask us to stop and reflect on a song or an image or just breathe. That kind of slowing down becomes really useful when we're hurt or overwhelmed, when someone makes us angry. That's when we really need to understand our emotions to be able to get space from them. My practice is having the space, right, carving the space out. I mean, just that is a monumental feat mm-hmm. in a world that is, like, constantly moving, and it moves maybe, I would say, about three, four times as fast as it did when I was younger and right. entered into this practice. Just the mental commitment to carve that kind of space out in a in a society that's so much about doing, to say, like, I'm not going to actually be doing anything. I'm not going to be accomplishing anything or producing anything. It, and I think as a, as a black person in particular, mm-hmm. it frees me from the notion that I am defined by what I'm producing. Mm-hmm. And for people that were brought to this land to, to, pr- produce. to produce precisely, and have in so many ways organized ourselves and many of the campaigns organized for us uh, by our leaders, and no shame or blame, yeah, yeah. but have been organized around our 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 value in relationship value. to producing yeah. things. Uh, and I'm fond of saying these days, you know, I'm like, uh, get us jobs. Like, I mean, we we have worked all we have need to work for the next. We don't, you know, <laughs> like jo- we don't. Need, you don't need to teach us how to work. Job skills. That's it. Like that's a that's an oxymoron. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like our yeah. the evidence of our job skills is this country. <laughs> <laughs> That's the <laughs> oh man, they're not ready for this one. They're not ready for this conversation. <laughs> and so, um, and so, what I saw is these very particular uh, opportunities to be a fugitive from this construct. Mm. And so, I think it's really it's it's really profound that just the act of the of the choosing of the silence and. And I get to defy some things. Right. And I think it, what we're talking about is defying. Yes, we are talking about yeah. defying. Yeah. I mean, and that is the thing. I mean, there, defiance is a really great word to bring into this conversation because I feel like when I talk about the, the power of someone representing love in the way that Fred Rogers represented it and the way that that love, the way Fred Rogers said to kids, you matter in a way that maybe no one else in that kid's life was telling them. Mm-hmm. It's tempting to think of that as a kind mm-hmm. of affirmation and a kind of, and that's what's that's what's made fun of when we make fun of Fred Rogers. But the more I think about it, the more I think of it as an act of denial, mm-hmm. an act of resistance, mm-hmm. denying this, what he saw encroaching on kids mm-hmm. and what then proceeded to over the next, because he started in 1968, so the world was similar in some ways, but wildly different in other ways. Mm-hmm. And that he wanted to deny this, what he saw was this encroaching idea that your value was only based on how how much you please people or how mm-hmm. much people like you or mm-hmm. how much money you earn. Mm-hmm. Or if you could wrap them all up, mm-hmm. you can earn a lot of money, then people are pleased and they like you. Right. Maybe get that all together. But really what Fred Rogers was talking about, seen through a certain lens, was a kind of resistance. Yeah. To the, so. to the momentum of our culture. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think of him as like an incredibly strong person. 
No, I th- I think that his 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 act of resistance was fairly um, demonstrated and strong and persistent and you know the, all, all of the things that make a warrior a warrior right like not a warmonger not a soldier mm-hmm. right but a warrior. Mm. Uh, what is that difference? Um, I think of soldiers as following instructions. Uh. You know, I think as w- I think of warriors in the heroic sense of warrior as people that are charged, mm. right? They're charged with a cause. I think the power and the potency of him, like any true teacher of wisdom, is that he he was talking to you mm. at each and every single time. And uh, maybe he would turn his attention and he would talk to Mr. McFeely or, you know, whoever else, or, you know. <laughs> um, but there were those times where he turned directly to the camera and he spoke to you. He spoke to me. And so that heldness, especially for those of us that were made to feel as if the society wasn't constructed for our sense of belonging unless we vied for that belonging, unless we, quote-unquote, earned that belonging. To have someone turn to you, directly you, and say, just as you are, you are loved. Just as you are, exactly as you are, in this moment, not another moment, not a moment to come, not a promised moment right even even our religions were selling us on a promised moment to come mm-hmm. one day mm-hmm. and he was saying no right now mm-hmm. like right this particular moment which i think of as you know as howard thurman would say is like the religion of jesus not the religion about <laughs> jesus right yeah. doing the work of jesus that was to like hold love right there in the space mm. and you know, when we say this word love, people are probably turning to their warm, fuzzy feelings and looking for that. And I'm not talking about the warm, fuzzy feelings. Yeah. And if it generated warm, fuzzy feelings for you, great. Yeah. But I think what it generated for me is space, right? This, it's the space. It was the space to be me. I didn't look at Fred Rogers and go, oh, my God, warm and fuzzy. I love mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. You know, I, in fact, I didn't think much about him. <laughs> And I think that that is the most profound love, (laughs) is it didn't make me think about him and how I felt about him. It made me think about how I felt about me. How do you feel about you? What is your value? How do you even know? Above my desk at home where I write this, I have a small reminder that says, you are enough. I look at it all the time, not because I believe it, but because I actually don't. (laughs) I mean, I am enough for what? For you? For the world? For me? In my 45 years, I've had a lot of experiences, (laughs) but maybe the most defining one is the experience of being shown in myriad ways that I'm not enough that my life doesn't matter. Many people have had this same experience. My mother and I were homeless for a time, often hungry. I was violently sexually assaulted at the age of seven, and it wouldn't be the last time. I was called racial slurs by classmates and even occasionally by teachers. 
I grew up to watch people who looked like me beat and shot on television while unarmed, only to have the justice system decide time and time and time again that no wrong had been committed in the eyes of the law. I've looked down the barrel of guns just because people thought my mother and I didn't belong in the neighborhood that we lived in. Am I enough? Do I have value? Does my life really matter? I can tell myself that it does, but what does it take for me to believe it? Of course, not believing that I am enough is not just a personal problem. It's a collective one, because how can I believe in your value if I don't even believe in my own? In this life, people like me and maybe like you, we've had to find our own value, our own worth. And one voice, like the voice of Fred Rogers, telling me that I am enough is powerful and it is beautiful. And I want to believe it. I love believing it. But his voice alone is not enough to undo an entire history. I wish it was, but it's not. But his example, the way he lived, now that has impact. The way Reverend Angel lives, that has impact. The people in your lives that you've called to tell us about, that has impact. Fred Rogers lived his life in service to something greater than himself. Let's call it love. And not warm feelings, I like you a lot, love, but love in the way that Ashley defines it, as action, as accountability. Love in the way that Reverend Angel defines it as space, space to see others, to understand others. This was not his only devotion, but it seemed to be his primary devotion. And I don't think he could have done this work without it. Fred was devoted and disciplined. He swam every morning. He rose early and studied and prayed and meditated on how he would be an active force for good every day. A producer for his show told us that each time he entered the TV studio, he uttered a small prayer. Dear God, let some part of this be yours. He famously made sure that every one of the hundreds of letters he received each week was thoughtfully answered. His dedication was to loving us, accepting us, showing up for us every day. For 900 episodes, 40 years, through the television neighborhood he created, he showed us how to love like that too. That was Fred Rogers' way of making the world better. So, what is yours? There is no one sentence I can say, or that Fred Rogers can say, that solves all of our problems. Our freedom, our love for ourselves, our care for one another does not come overnight. It is something we build bit by bit, one action at a time, maybe even one moment at a time. But I do not have doubt. I believe in your ability to imagine 
and live something better than this because I'm learning to do it myself. I'm proud of you. I'm grateful to you. And I love you. Here's the sweater going into the closet. And here's the jacket going on me. It'll be the night time, and then will come the new day, and that's when you and I will be together again. Thank you for listening to Finding Fred. Our show is produced by Transmitter Media. The team is Dan O'Donnell, Jordan Bailey, and Maddie Foley. Our editor is Sarah Nix. The executive producer for Transmitter Media is Greta Cohn. Executive producers at Fatherly are Simon Isaacs and Andrew Berman. Thanks to the team at iHeartMedia. Special thanks to all of our guests. Many thanks also to Fred Rogers Productions, to Joe Negri, and to the studio engineers at UC Berkeley. Extra special thanks to Tim Liebarger, who runs the site NeighborhoodArchive.com. It's a listing of every song, every episode, every character on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. It's been an amazing resource for our team. Rick Kwan makes the show sound beautiful. Theme music is by Blue Dot Sessions and interstitial music by Allison Leighton Brown. That's it for our show. You can come back and listen to all of our episodes and tell your friends to do the same. I'm Carvel Wallace. Thank you for listening. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 
Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store.